Hey everybody, uh, welcome back to Terminus. Uh, for this episode, uh, we're, we're still going to do a show and everything, but I figured I'd uh, dispense with the usual uh, comedy bits up front. Uh, we just wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on now. Uh, we're recording this on the uh, late evening of the 23rd, and it seems that as of about half an hour ago, uh, Russian military forces have started moving into East Ukraine. Um, we were talking about this a little bit, uh, before we got on the show and we've been talking about it in general over the past couple weeks, uh, between myself and the black metal guy. Um, we don't, we don't typically talk politics on the show and, uh, we don't have a, uh, we don't have a special political position to take on this, you know, whatever your opinions on the, uh, self-determination of the breakaway publics in East Europe or excuse me, Eastern Ukraine, maybe we don't really have a dog in that fight, but I think we can both agree that we're, uh, we're, we're not happy about this turn of events. Yeah. 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 You've been following it a lot more closely than me. I've, I, as I, the death metal guy knows, I, I try to insulate myself from the news so I don't go insane. Um, uh, but, um, and you know, with world historical shit like that, you know, Often, right? This is a standoff that has happened many times before, and nothing has come of it. Or not nothing. Bad shit has come of it to some degree, right? But it hasn't. It hasn't come to a head in the way that it is now. Mm-hmm. And so you've been. You you know way more about what's going on right now than I do. Uh, but yeah, it it's just what we were saying before I came on is it's just really really sad. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, there's obviously, and we have we have no interest in debating the uh, historical and, uh, you know, political intricacies of that, I think we can both just say, well, or I'll say for myself at least, that I'm not a big fan of what I perceive as uh, sort of uh, uh, what I would call pointless military venturism, uh, regardless of what nation is committing it. And, uh, A lot of people are saying that, you know, not taking a political side in this is taking a side. I disagree because I feel like in a situation like this, the primary people suffering are going to be Ukrainian civilians who have little to nothing to do with the uh, realities this conflict is about. Yes, it's, um, it's a war that for many reasons... It's happening in some way because of deep, deep emotional reasons on both sides, and it doesn't make a lot of sense in a lot of ways. And as we were talking about before, it's uh, those are sometimes the or those are always the ugliest wars. Yeah, it's um, you know, uh, and it seems um, you know, you were talking about uh, Kiev getting shelled right now, or perhaps bombed from the air, or something. Yeah, possibly. There's a bunch of explosions reported, but people aren't really sure of the origin yet. Yeah. I mean, could that just be like... Could that be sort of like, you know, um, Russian black ops just blowing shit up on the ground? Like, Eh, terrorists? I mean, I don't know. You know, I I don't want to speculate about something like that, but we can both say that if, uh, if... if it does turn out that there is Russian military action in Kiev, well, obviously that is far, far in excess 
of yes. what uh, what Putin yes. was suggesting. Yes, if the plan is to visit this on Ukrainian civilians and Ukraine, the, the the nation of Ukraine in general, right? Yes, that is that is it's sort of prideful and cruel in the worst ways, right? Yeah, yeah, but not, not prideful and cruel, but not in the cool way. Yeah, um, God, we were talking. About, this yeah, is actually, yeah. ironically, this is the mm-hmm. the opposite of what we like about black metal because this is yeah. this is a lot of uh, this appears to me to be a, a lot of sort of um, supposed heroic ethos that is disguising sort of naked imperialist ambitions, and I'm not a big fan mm-hmm. of that. It's um, there's a. Yeah, I think I I think I have like you know, it's it's like I find myself I understand the cases both both sides have a compelling historical case to make. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, uh, uh sort of a compelling national mythological case to make. Um but you know, if I but if I'm observing for the from the outside, it's uh you know, you you have to feel for a, uh, you know, a small, valiant people defending their homeland, right? Yeah, no, um, of course. And, you know, that happened to, you know, that happened to my, my mom's family, too. Yeah. You know, um, so it's, um, it, yeah, it's just really sad. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we have a a ton more to say about it, you know, apart from, you know, to the, uh, the people of Ukraine who are, uh, who have no, uh, part to play in this conflict, you know, uh, uh, you know, be safe and God bless. Yes. discussion of the land war in Europe we are here with a 
black metal demo by Serpent Dweller. Uh, this is the second demo by Serpent Dweller. Uh, the vocalist of this band is a friend of the show. Um, we reviewed his first demo uh, over a year ago, I think. It, it was um, pretty early on. Yeah. 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 Let's see. Um, you know, I pull it up on Bandcamp here. Um, and I had the tab open and then it disappeared. Um, the, uh, it, it was pretty, yeah, no, it was almost exactly a year ago, February, 2021. Oh, okay. um, yeah, it's, um, which I guess in some way was early on. Right. But, um, uh, so yeah, so this is his second, second demo. Um, and it's, from what I remember, it's him and another guy, and the other guy's handling all the instruments. Um, it is uh, the first one we remember being kind of a uh, idiosyncratic, high-velocity black metal that seemed informed by that that seemed. Um, of a piece with the contemporary trend towards, you know, triumphant melody and BM, but like it was getting a lot of its DNA from like grinding hardcore, like his hero is gone. And also maybe funeral doom, which is still listed on their band camp as a genre, mm -hmm. like a sense of melody from funeral doom, not velocity. Yeah. Um, uh, I think the funeral doom thing is still here, which we could discuss. But this is very, it's a much more focused effort. Um, it, it's really, I mean, I have to say, like, it's a huge, it's a quantum leap forward from the last one in terms of focus and, uh, and power and memorability of the songs. Um, it is, it's also sort of cleaned up and less idiosyncratic, but it's still really unique. I think you're gonna love this, and I think I know which bands you're gonna, which band you're gonna compare it to. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, basically, this and to me, this seems like a much more convincing uh, attempt at a certain sound, attempted by certain bands I don't like that much or don't like at all. Okay. You um, now you got to write it down on a card and show the audience. Right, 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 right. I'll stick it on my for. I'll I'll like stick it on your forehead or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's start with um just you know first two minutes of the first track. This is very riff oriented, you know, direct stuff. So just first two minutes of the first track. Perception without form.
Yeah, so what do you make of that? I like that a lot. I'm trying to guess who you think I'm going to compare it to, because I'm trying to think of something that I like that you don't, and you think it's a better execution of the idea. Um, honestly, the first thing this strikes me as is, it reminds me a lot of Narboleth, in a way. Yeah, no, okay, it does, and Narboleth, I like... Okay, I think you're going to get that thing next when I, I'm going to play another sample that will nail it for you. This <laughs> does remind me of Narboleth. A question I was going to ask is... Yeah, so, I mean, the thing that really gets... So, like, the main riff on that, right? I can sort of, like, take or leave. It's a solid verse riff, right? But then when he brings in the leads there, they're just, like... Oh, the leads are the center there. The leads are so powerful. That low end trim, it just cuts through the sound. Um, and it's like a death metal technique, but it doesn't sound like death metal at all. Well, it also, it, it's got that huge kind of swinging, swaying motion that we're now kind of starting to associate with, uh, with like South American and kind of like Spanish language black metal in general now. Yeah, and these are Latino dudes from LA. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that, but that that whole kind of like processional, but kind of like flourishing gesture with that mm -hmm. lead guitar—that's very Narboleth, or it's even very like Ancient Spheres or something from last year. Yeah. Um. And 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 you can hear maybe some of the funeral doom in that too, as in like it's not so much a death metal kind of single lead as it is like a beefy, low-end, single-string, mournful funeral doom riff. Yeah, I can definitely see that. But but yeah. it's, like, harmonized in mm. a really cool way. I don't think it's a drone string. Maybe it is a drone string. Maybe he's just using a drone string on single parts, of, not on the whole phrase, but on certain parts of it. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's, it's harmonized in an interesting way. He's, yeah. like, because he's, like, pulling in and out of sync with the first... Uh, guitar line, mm -hmm. so it's a it's kind of like emerging above the surface of the water and then you know diving back below it, that kind of thing. It's really cool, um, and I, I like and, that that you know it's not just like about the riff per se; it's about execution. There's been a lot of consideration on how do we execute this in a way that makes it especially effective. I like that. That's a very good point. This is black metal that certainly appeals to the current desire for big, flourishing consonant riffs and triumphant vibes. But the performance is really important, right? His guitar playing is important. It's mm -hmm. not just riffs cut and pasted. And it um and also there's a cool structure there, right? There's like um there's the first chorus and then the second chorus. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. he does there's like there's an A B variation to that first sort of like dive phrase. It almost sounds more like a turnaround at first. It's just a really powerful turnaround. And then it locks in to a chorus riff or big hook riff that's based on the same sort of swooping swooping low end trem thing uh, and that is very cool and it sustains the idea and other than that the song is sort of like basic structured right it just goes back to the verse riff and then you know hits that stuff again but it works perfectly mm -hmm. um, so um, here's I guess oh I guess the, the thing I'll no never mind so next one um I think we don't need to play this for very long. I just think once we play this, you'll know what <laughs> I am talking about. So, yeah, this is, we're going to go to the beginning of the last track, The Path of Death's Shadow, which I think I had as a 
rough rehearsal track on my desktop for a while because when I first listened to this, I was like, I know that song. I've heard that. That song's great. <laughs> and then I like, I was like, oh shit, that was that random unlabeled MP3 that I like was like, what is this? <laughs> but this, the sound is so much bigger here, and it's 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 just this is pretty pretty vast stuff. <laughs> Okay, so it's uh, it's Imha Tarakat, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, once I heard when I heard like the shreddy lead guitar stuff, is oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and once you hear it there, you can hear it in the shred intro to the first track too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now like, it's a little more mournful sounding on the first track. Yeah, but, this is uh, this is like a more muted kind of more like black, especially black metal-y take on that idea. There's there's a way you can think of it. I don't know if I'd even call Imha Tarakat like really a straight up black metal band. You know, well, that's a good segue. I was gonna raise that about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I think that so yeah, like the main difference for me is I just think these guys are better at writing. So Imha Tarakat has fantastic energy, and the bursts of shred soloing are sick. But I've just followed his stuff for a long time and never found the regular riffing impressive. Mm. Um, you know, some I like, some I really don't like. This is, um, this band has the regular riffing locked in. Um, you know, uh, and it's, and there's all kinds of pyrotechnics in the regular riffing that are being pulled off, like those dive, diving trem things before. Uh, so I, I like this better, but a question about this, is this record does not feel like a black metal record to me. And I've listened to the whole, I've listened to it on the last, and I really, really like it. That's not a knock on it at all. It's spiritually authentic, it's passionate, it shows a deep knowledge of black metal riffing and tradition. This is not, there's nothing posery about it. It's just in this territory of like stuff that seems to be pushing beyond black metal. And where you can, or away from it in weird ways, and where you can look at something like Syndaxio and be like, okay, this sounds weird, and it's droning, and sort of mid-tempo, and obscure and synthy, right? This, in many ways, is doing the most visceral things that we like about black metal, but with just with a really different emotional inflection. Um, you see, I mean, I would say this is closer to black metal. Like, you know, capital B, capital M, we're using this as a specific, mm-hmm. like, genre definition term i mm-hmm. think this is closer to black metal than avon tarakat is um because like i think if you strip away some of the pyrotechnic stuff you the bed of this reminds me of kind of like advanced dsbm riffing 
like um, like some of the simpler stuff you would hear from Nictalgia or or Sturbeck. I think they really admire the French bands. Also, I think there's a yeah, lot I of likes. Or, yeah. Um, so, but I, I get I get what you're getting at, and I think this sounds like. To me, this sounds like guys who started a black metal band, but really, really, really like death metal and hardcore also. Yeah, I guess what I'm getting is just like the vibe is like, or like the music has this just, if you listen to the whole thing, it just has this majestic sweep to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, but the melodies aren't really coming from folk music or classical. They seem to be coming from film soundtrack. Which, yeah, which is, which is, it makes me think of like, I don't know, like a tree of life or something like Terrence Malick film yeah, or I even know. like the kind of epic that you get in certainly closer to the kind of epic that you get in the more, um, the more new, the newer skepticism stuff. Yeah. I, I, it's, 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 it's mournful, but it's, it's also about vastness and space and, you know, more shade, shades beyond being sad. Uh, oh, yeah. I think yeah. this is not very... I don't think it's sad music. I think it's very, very sentimental. And it's, it's sort of sentimental in a way that links it to these kinds of, like, you know, like, you know, I don't know, high-budget art movie, right? Or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, like the, the Terrence Malick stuff. Or that links it to emotionally at, at times... It, it can feel a little like Godspeed, or something, um, who yeah. also have a sense of melody that comes more from sort of cinematic stuff. Um, and it feels very American in the melodies. I guess that's that's a point. Both of those things are very American. Mm. Um, uh, but it's like... But it, the, the energy is fantastic. Um, I'm just wondering if like we're starting to get to a point where there's... Obviously, there's always going to be real black metal of various kinds, but are we getting to a point where, like, it comes back to the, like, we need new names for these things. Like, this is definitely lunar metal, right? Mm. This is clearly in the same constellation as Narboleth or as um, uh, a number of other bands with that kind of vibe, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's more sort of... it's. And they have various degrees of and relation to black metal, right? And the antithesis might be like solar metal stuff, some of which is very black metal also, some of which is really not at all. Yeah. Right? And it's just, is this sort of nocturnal, diurnal, lunar, solar thing going to become a more, I don't know, a more apt way of parsing some of the new stuff? Because like... I understand how this spiritually connects to even really necrotic sort of lunar sounding stuff. I Mm -hmm. don't, it doesn't feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously like a, you know, an individual thing, feel thing, but like, also like, it's like, I listened to this under the moon in the last cold, in the coldest night, in the, in the last really cold night of winter the other night, and it was fucking awesome. <laughs> um, I would kind of want to, I want to play, I would, we've got a lot to move through this show, so we should probably keep moving, but I'll say Rite of Hidden Dreams is uh, a jam. Um, do you have time for a jam? 
I always have time for a jam, buddy. All right, let's just get through the verse and the chorus. all the french stuff yeah 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 like as soon as that that first riff hit that that just that little dyadic thing he was doing at the beginning it starts like a mutilation riff and then it goes off in its own direction oh yeah and the and the sort of the power chord riff at the beginning right yep yep yeah but the the chorus right is like a rousing kind of like, I mean, it really, I mean, it sounds a lot like Total Vernichtung, right? Um, yeah. But it also sounds literally like emo, but in a good way. <laughs> like, kind of like, kind of like gothy, you know, maybe gothy hardcore stuff. It doesn't sound exactly like AFI, but it's a similar energy to the more hardcore AFI, you know? When, um, when, when emo was wearing eyeliner because they really believed in it. Yes, but but the thing that you can that makes it really good and kind of like one thing that makes it like cooler to me than a Total Vernichtung riff or whatever, right, is how he's bending all of those notes sideways. There's actually like a really bizarre scronk harmony that hits on one of those chords, and that all seems very informed by that mutilation stuff, um, and it raises it. Again, it shows the mastery of the tradition, and it sort of uh, it, it it engages with stuff that it, it very much it's it engages with uh, the zeitgeist, right? But it does it in a way that is uh, a lot more substantial than other bands grasping after that. I think this is a little one gash, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, we are back, and a uh, little little thought experiment. Uh, Black Metal Guy, if you had just discovered death metal as of, say, five years ago and uh, hadn't heard anything before 2017, and you were asked, what are the prevailing themes of death metal, what, w- what would you probably say based on what's popular these days? Um, uh, triangles... Um, <laughs> sort of like, um, constellations and like vortices, uh, also kind of like Eastern mysticism, uh, um, like, um, what, what else? Sort of like, 
space, oh, probably. aliens. Yeah, aliens, yeah. Well, boy, do I have something special for you, because I have a band that's here to prove that death metal is not about any of those things, because they are called... <laughs> what, could be, what could it be about, death metal guy? Well, black metal but guy, this is a band called Razor Rape. And they have a new album out called Fucked Beyond Recognition. And they're here to remind everyone that death metal is actually about murder and rape and torture and cannibalism and playing really fast, cool riffs. You know? <laughs> oh, sounds like brutal death metal. Um, it, it, that's an interesting question. It, it brushes into it. There's uh, some brutal death stuff in a sense, and uh, there's some stuff that you could kind of charitably call slams here and there. I, I, but yeah, oh, go ahead. I guess what I mean is like it's interesting to say that because I think you've yeah on the notes you've built this as a straight up death metal record, and what's funny is that those themes, which are fundamental to death metal, have been relegated to brutal death metal. Yeah, and and also in very very attenuated form to like OSDM, but that's like sweet death shit. But that's mostly just like zombies killing people, like Night of the Dead, like uh, you know whatever. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I was I was actually gonna talk about that. Because, so so this so Razor Rape is a band that's been around for a while. Uh, it's actually its origin is as a one man project. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what the lineup on this record is, but I'm pretty sure they have a full lineup now. Um, and the most immediate comparison I can make to this is the 200 Stab Wounds record from last year, mm. uh, which uh, I really loved and you enjoyed a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what we have here is kind of a similar melange, maybe a little bit grindier than the 200 Stab Wounds. This is faster in general. But you're looking at this combination of old-school death metal, kind of uh, 2000s stomping New York stuff, uh, some brutal and slam death, but then here also there's a, a flare of European death grind stuff that kind of differentiates it. Mm -hmm. And it was it was it was funny because uh, when I first decided to bring this record on the show, uh, I heard one of the lead tracks and I really liked it. I was like, how is one of the most exciting developments in death metal right now? Just the idea of bringing gore back into it, which which sounds like such an absurd idea. But if you think of it, like, seriously, high profile death metal records over the past five and to a certain degree, even 10 years have been thematically completely dissociated from the roots of, you know, being vulgar and being about murder and shit, you know? I mean, even being aggressive to a degree, they haven't really been doing that lately. <laughs> These guys seem to have gotten a good system down because the tracks are just like, like regular, you know, just sort of like classic vicious death metal song titles. But the, uh, the album covers are all women with the heads of pigs cutting men's dicks off. Yeah, they, 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 the, uh, the woman with the pig head's kind of a mascot for the band, yes. it seems. Um, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. But, okay, these are, these are really short songs, so we're just going to play a couple all the way through. So, um, basically, this, is, this record is split into two kinds of songs. You've got one kind that's like a little bit slower, a little bit kind of more breakdown-focused and hardcore-influenced, and they got um, the other half is faster, thrashier, more kind of cannibal corpse-inspired, 
all of it's really good. But let's start by listening to all of Ruptured Eye Globe Vivisection, which is going to be a good example of uh, one of those slower, kind of chuggier uh, mosh pit songs. All right. So that's pretty tough, right? That's very tough. Um, <laughs> I like the idea of the one part that sounds like dissonant black death being two chords in the middle of just a crushing, like, beat down slam part. Yeah. Well, right? They just throw, like, two sort of, like, DSO ulcerate chords in the middle of just this, like, ignorant gutter riff, right? Which is hilarious and cool. Yeah, well, one thing I wanted to bring up, because you made such a great case for it on uh, 200 Stab Wounds. Uh, oh, thanks. I cover that record. The whole idea of the sort of uh, Slayer core underpinning of modern death metal. And I feel like a lot of the breakdowny stuff on this record ties really closely to that. I mean, a lot of the trem riffs across this record have sort of a Slayer flair. You know, dissonant and harsh, but not really in the sense that we think of those terms now. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, there's not a lot of trem on that. Did I miss some trem on that one? It's not I a mean, lot there, of single string trem, right? There's there's some just in the blasty section. We'll get more into that. On tremming that like chords there. That's the more like DSOE stuff there. Um, but the, uh, I mean, but I could have missed some. But the the thing that strikes me as really Slayer is the break is the sort of like two Slayer core, especially is the two step at the end. Oh wanna, yeah, wanna, yeah. Wanna, I thought wanna, you'd wanna, get a wanna, kick out of that da, part. Da, yeah. da, 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 da. <laughs> oh, I love that part. And what's cool is that it brings back the riff from the beginning of the song. I really liked that. I feel like almost they started with the breakdown riff from the end of the song because it kind of makes sense as like a grease. The intervals are kind of blues scaly too. It's got mm. almost this kind of southern rock thing, like almost a Pantera thing, like or like an every time I die thing, like right. Um, that's also the verse riff at the beginning of the track. But they're doing it as a um, over Slayer beats, so it's just this like wobbly kind of. Um, it's just this sort of wiggling pulse riff that um, uh, sounds kind of obscure and brutal and produces a hardcore effect in a very death metally way. Yeah, I would um, say that um, like like two hundred stab wounds. This seems to have a lot of the same DNA, but this definitely leans harder in the fully fledged death metal direction yeah like it, oh it, for sure yeah you, you don't get as many of those riffs where it's like the rorschach test of whether it's hardcore or death there's metal. nothing there that sounds thrashy uh per se yeah yeah it's um the um you know also uh elephant in the room or should i say uh pig in the room <laughs> is the constant pig squeal vocals yeah which, which is, is a very death metal and it's the most markedly brutal death thing, too. Yes. Yeah, and it's a thing that, um, it's you know, that would distinguish it from something like 200 Stab Wounds. And it's, yes, it is very brutal death, and it is very um, difficult to assimilate to things outside that. But it's, you know, what's cool, kind of, is that, like, I mean, you know I've never been a huge fan of the Brie Brie. However, mm. um, here it works, um, partly because I think he's got more, like, depth and tone in it, um, and partly because the songs themselves aren't, you know, one thing, with those vocals, you'd always hear them in the context of, like, white belt deathcore songs, right? Mm -hmm. Would just like, here it is, Whitechapel, the most brutal thing ever, right? <laughs> um, whereas these, hearing them in the context of things that function much more sort of direct, grinding hardcore death metal songs it sort of makes more sense it's just like it's an added flavor of just like oh that's nasty instead of just being like why is there a pig there <laughs> yeah absolutely and <laughs> i mean i i think there's something cool going on now uh, between 200 mm -hmm. and this record and some other stuff that i've just heard on my own time mm -hmm. it feels like people are now finally getting how to tie old school death metal and like modern brutal death ideas together in a, a way that makes sense and uh you know results in something bigger than just the sum of its parts yeah i've been really liking hearing more brutal death style vocals in things that are not brutal death yeah it's fun i mean why not yeah 
Um, so let's listen to another one. Uh, this is called A Night to Dismember. Uh, and this is one of the fast ones. Uh, here's where the thrash is going to come out. So it's like the, the basic DNA is really similar to 200 stab wounds, especially on the more hardcore tracks. You got the skinless, uh, aborted, cannibal corpse kind of across everything. And uh, yeah, yeah, the kind of the same stuff we were talking about. But here's where the thrash is going to come out more. You're going to hear more of that cannibal corpse, but then you're also going to get some cryptopsy and... Maybe some kind of weirder, more deep cut stuff uh, we'll talk about after this one. Word. riff at the end the like sped up doom death riff makes me laugh every time i hear it. that was sick uh, i mean you so could good. you could also hear that as like a sweet death riff like yeah like, yeah oh literally a dismember oh there's a joke it's a dismember riff yeah yeah i mean these guys are like the pun sweet, there's so. a pun in the it's so there's like a double pun it's a night to dismember haha ha, funny and that ends with this like big dismember sort of ever flowing stream power chord thing yeah, yeah, it's a lot um, of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I liked the thrash riffing there, and it's you. It's very deathified, um, it, more sort of consonant than I was expecting, but in like a cool way. Like it's sort of just like sinister. That first thing where they were doing the, um, where when they bounced off the pedal point, they were just hitting like single note trem mm-hmm. things in the in the, the beginning of the song. That was really cool, and the version of it at the end was really cool too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- I think one of the omnipresent things here is going to be the influence from Deranged, who um, I, I've talked about a, f- a few times on the show. I'm a big Deranged fan, um, and Deranged is kind of the root of a whole style of Swedish almost brutal death or kind of death grindy stuff. 
um, that not a lot of people really think about, but it really is kind of its own stylistic niche uh, within Swedish death metal. Um, people just don't really think about it as a community, but I'm thinking of stuff like uh, Deranged, Immersed in Blood, Sanctified, stuff. a lot of bands that people just don't really care that much about. Um, but yeah, so the thrashy stuff, you're getting a lot of late cannibal corpse in there. Or, uh, at least, you know, like early George Fisher Cannibal Corpse. Mm-hmm. And you're also getting uh, Cryptopsy in the way they keep playing with those kind of, uh, those chuggy hardcore rhythms. You know, you can remember on Nun So Vile tracks like Graves of the Fathers or Benedictine Convulsions where they're doing these, these fun sort of like rhythmic inversion tricks with these relatively simple chug riffs. And I, I really like that a lot, too. Yeah, I can hear the... Uh, um Yes, I I can hear the fuck. The, I'm I'm like I just brain farted the name of the very important Quebecois band you just named Cryptopsy. <laughs> Fucking hell, that was a brain fart. Um, yeah, I um, I can hear the Cryptopsy thing for sure, and on some of the sort of squiggle, the squiggle thrash riffing as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I can hear that. Um, other thing I was thinking, you know, when we, I heard the more sort of quote-unquote, dissonant corded things, you're right that it doesn't really sound like Ulcerator DSO. What if it, especially on this track, it's honestly more like a straightforward, old-school, kind of like dark funeral riff, but they're using it to grind, which is awesome. And the thing it reminded me of was a band that has rendered itself completely irrelevant. Do you remember Belphegor? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're still going, dude. Yeah, I know, but it's just like, you know, it's just one of those bands that just exists now, and it's like, okay, yep, they're doing another one of the Skull with a Gas Mask, right? But, like, they had, it makes me want to revisit it almost, because I back in the day, but they were, like, black death when that meant there was actual death metal in it. Yes, exactly. And, like, modern death metal, and so it was sort of, like, blasting brutal death with retarded dark funeral chords and a kind of, uh porn and gore aesthetic that was very different from other bm at the time oh yeah dude lucifer incestus is still a minor classic in my book all right i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to revisit that it's got uh it's got a, a a bunch of hot lesbian chicks having sex in front of the devil oh that's right that cover is sick <laughs> being the devil rules How's it going? Connor here from Oncology, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, we are back, and uh, we got something a little bit different uh, for this next segment. Probably one of the highest profile records that we've covered on the show that uh, I don't... I don't know. I go back and forth. Do you think this is going to be relevant to our listeners, or do you think this is going to be pretty left field? I think it's good to check in with the relative mainstream once in a while because, like, you know, obviously there's good music being made that's not just being made by a, a you know, a small circle of Estonian pagans. Um, <laughs> but, like, uh, um, y- you know, uh, but it is, uh, um, but, like, uh, yeah, so I think it's good to check in with this stuff when it's of, art, you know, artistic interest, right? I mean, God, that fucking Ruins of Beverest record came out on Nuclear Blast, 
right? Oh man, I always and, you know, forgot that it was that's, something like that. <laughs> yeah, like that's of that you know that's <laughs> anyone who wants to know about the state of the art needs to know about that. I told you, I kind of want to check out the new immolation and stuff, right? So. Yeah. You know, I, I I think I think it makes sense to check in with the stuff. Will it be relevant to our listeners? Um, I think their listeners form. I think there are certain types within them, but they're quite a range. I think some people will dig this. Yeah. Um, some probably already know it. I, I've known guys who were repping this band like ten years ago when he was starting out. Yeah. And, and maybe you should bring me up to speed because you've been following him the whole time, right? Uh, to a degree. Well, to, like, we let me give... say who it is. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> so today we're covering the new author and Punisher record titled Crueler, uh, released on Relapse Records. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> so so insofar as following author and Punisher, I've followed him basically since he became more known in the metal scene because uh so author and puncher i think this is like the seventh or eighth full length that mm-hmm. uh that he's done um but basically when metalheads picked up on him is when he got signed to housecore records for like his fourth or fifth record which is the label that uh phil anselmo that's fucking weird yeah phil anselmo picked him up so I originally knew of him from metalheads i had not heard of him outside that sphere um, I, I, so I guess we'll get to this. We probably have different. So here's the thing that the thing that I mostly remember about it was he makes his own instruments. Yeah. Um, which back in the day probably led me to think, well, okay, maybe that's interesting. Maybe it's a novelty band like botanist or whatever, like mm-hmm. whatever. But in principle, I've always been committed to the idea that like incorporating biofeedback is one of like into things that aren't. into electronic instruments right is like the next frontier in terms of so like that he's doing that is pretty cool so maybe i should be down for that you know what i mean and maybe it's dumb i didn't check him out earlier yeah and uh so for those who aren't familiar with author and punisher um like uh like the black metal guy was saying you know the the big the gimmick quote unquote it's not a gimmick it's essential to the quality of the music is uh, Terrence, the uh, the one man behind it, uh, is a uh, mechanical engineer by trade, and he's created an array of just unique specialized instruments, uh, which, to a certain degree, mostly revolve around functioning as MIDI controllers, but with interesting kind of timbral characteristics. Um, so a lot of what he does is, you know, developing novel ways to kind of simulate conventional instruments. I mean, he does have straight synths, uh, that are not necessarily custom, but he also has an array of things that are designed to replicate, uh, electronic drums, uh, interesting other kind of, uh, sort of analog synth type setups. It's very interesting. He's got some videos online where... He uh, he gives you kind of a nutshell look at his setup. It's really interesting. Um, it's very cool. Does he ever like strap on a robot glove and like punch and like the bass hits? Because <laughs> no, that's he, kind of what I assumed it was like. I no, assumed it was like he like gets in the battle suit and sort of like stomps. Uh, it it's kind of close. You're not too far off. It's it's an array around him. So for instance, uh, when he's performing live, the uh, the drum hits are controlled by a sort of p- 
piston setup that he can pump forward and back. Uh-huh. On. And I believe he has like a button set up to activate different voices, but it also oh, allows so- him like an analog kind of velocity mapping so he can hit it softer for lighter stuff. And then, oh, I see. So he's made like an analog drum machine. Yeah, basically, he's he's done sort of convoluted analog mechanics. Oh, sounds. I get, I get this. So yeah, the whole point is that he's machine. It's mostly not digital. He's machining it. Yeah, he's machining it, and um, I mean the cool kind of <laughs> abstract kind of musical ideology aspect of it is that to create louder and more intense sounds, he has to physically exert himself hard. Right, 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 right. That's the biofeedback thing. Well, that's cool. Well, so everyone who's looking like, what does this look like? You can just search. There's a Boiler Room Berlin live set. Um, It's very cool, yeah. Yeah, so I'm watching that on silent right now. Um, Yeah, so, but, but, uh, but musically, okay, so what does he do with all this stuff? Well, it's interesting because you're talking about knowing people who were kind of following him from the beginning. Um, I had not really heard his really early stuff, but to prepare for this review, I decided to go back and listen to it. And I can see what happened with Metalheads picking him up because the first few records are cool, but very uh, like skinny puppy vein. Um, mm-hmm. they, they don't have the unbelievable heaviness of his later stuff. So it seems like author and Punisher got picked up by Housecore Records and then almost accidentally got adopted by the metal scene, you know? Um, which kind of went in tune with a, a musical shift uh, into slower tempos, heavier sounds, lots of sub-bass frequencies. And now he refers to himself, and a lot of people refer to him as uh, industrial doom metal. Oh, so... Oh, sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going. No, no, I mean, that's a, that's about it. So he now refers to himself as industrial doom metal. I'd say that's probably a pretty fair characterization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, which would tie him to Godflesh, right? But um, mm-hmm. uh, it looks like, so, the guys I knew who were into him would have been right around 2012 and 13, before House Gore. Okay, um, yeah. But, like, not the first three records. Um, it's, uh, they get listed as... Um, he, did, he did a couple independent releases and then a few more on some small labels. And he, then, yeah, he's been going know. a while. Yeah, first one was 2005. So the, the Painted Army, Warcry, Drone Machines. It looks like people in the metal scene started paying attention to him with Ursus Americanus and Women and Children. But, you know, mm-hmm. these were guys who liked arty stuff, right? They weren't, it wasn't just like, yeah, you know, it was people with a, a, a pretty broad palette. And then um, and then he gets on a house core, and then now my buddies who, you know, my bar buddies who listen to Lamb of God know him. Really? Know? Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, it, it originally, I think it was more of like a, I'm a metal guy who also, like, might listen to, like, Berlin techno or noise music or, mm-hmm. uh, or fucking, like, power electronics. Yeah. And now it's, now, now the sort of heavy industrial rock undertone of it has been strong enough that it's basically performing in the niche that heavy industrial rock performed in the 90s. Yeah, I would say so. Um, like, it's not on the radio, but, like, neither is Lamb of God anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, um, Lamb of God never was on the radio, at least in my area. 
I think uh, I think I probably heard you know Redneck a couple times on the radio. Yeah, but that's maybe about like it. late at night. You know, like uh, Welcome to the Riff Dad with Ken, Ken the Maniac. What's up? <laughs> no, actually, you know, right? actually, my my local uh, midnight show is what introduced me to Bolt Thrower. So there's actually a, a pretty cool gap there. You that 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 makes sense. Um, yeah, that's that's Florida shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, you're in the right spot for that. It's um, um but well, so to let's focus it down a little bit. So I've been, you've never heard a full author and Punisher record, I assume. I think I barely heard any of it. I looked at the cover of Beastlands and was like, "Hey, that's a cool gas mask." Okay, yeah, we we've I, I've talked about him with you mm-hmm. before. I think a few times. Um, so uh, this record, Crueler. Um, I think we've got fairly different opinions about this, but I think we hone in on the same things. Uh, I really, really like this record. Um, Mm -hmm. This shows author and Punisher going in kind of a different direction, really emphasizing, at least in parts, um, more melodic aspects. Uh, I think that there will be a confusion of terms and people will call this synthwave in some part, which it is not. It really has more to do with uh, 90s electronic soundtrack stuff, like the uh, like the Terminator 2 soundtrack would be... But but that's a primary influence on Synthwave. Yeah, yeah it's definitely an influence to Synthwave, but I feel like here he is going directly back to the source. Uh, Terrence is almost 50, so he's got a, a more immediate connection to when that stuff was especially relevant. You know, he's he's not like a zoomer doing this. You know, <laughs> <coughs> that's that's fair. Also, synthwave inherently sounds trashy, and this doesn't sound trashy. So, like, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's um, true. Well, what do you what do you make of this? I mean, this is your your first experience with him. Um, I, I know you're not a huge fan, but what what do you make of this in general? Um, I guess. I guess based on the little I knew of this guy, right, the sort of biomechanical setup, I was expecting a maybe something more out there. Um, I know in the notes that you said this is sort of like more melodic or whatever. Um, I think that this is a very, in some ways, it's unusual for the metal scene proper maybe, especially for this... It's it's unusual for the metal scene proper, but this is very familiar to me because it sounds like heavy industrial music, the sort of heavy, the more melodic side of industrial music from around like 2012. Mm, um, okay. It's it seems kind of musically conservative almost, hmm. or at least like part of a part of a pretty established vein of. Uh, yeah, you. It's, I mean, more extreme electronic music for sure. You know, there's lots of sub bass and noise effects on this, but it's all being used in a pretty listenable way. Um, I, I would say this. This lives. This seems to me to like. Um, fits in pretty well with bands like Youth Code or Three Teeth. Do you know Youth Code? Youth Code, I don't. But I knew you were going to mention Three Teeth, and I was watching an author and Punisher video. Apparently, he toured with Three Teeth. So yeah, yeah. So Youth Code and Three Teeth are these bands. Um, Youth Code were like from the hardcore scene. Three Teeth, I think, were just like internet weirdos, like got literal goths. Um, mm-hmm. And um, uh, the and they started making. 
it was at the time when there was a very bunch of very sort of cool highbrow industrial techno and shit like ancient methods or regis or vatican shadow or whatever all that mm -hmm. stuff was really big um silent servant and there was uh but it was pretty disconnected to say from like it was all very like we're not that kind of industrial right yeah. or as you know it's like real industrial it was very like real industrial techno whatever very austere these people were like tapped into that level of um they had an interest in making stuff that was actually related to more authentic or extreme forms of industrial music not just like nine inch nails worship or ministry stuff mm -hmm. but still relating it back much more to the sort of like um 90s industrial metal or clubland kind of sound like goth club sound so they had um and they both incorporated really big colorful hooks in a way that didn't sound like michael bay transformers mm, yeah. um you would i think you'd get a huge kick out of youth code um three yeah. teeth is a little more understated i'm guessing they probably nailed their formula later i only really listened to the first record but um uh they don't have but what this has that those don't have is this is a lot slower right yeah. and it is also uh makes more use of they had modern highly modern production but this this has sub bass right a lot of sub bass yeah. right um uh but um which also places it related to another 2012 constellation which is the kind of like heavy dubstep stuff that was taking root around london on this show we talk about um one example of that which is the fucking uh i always call them function which is the name of the record empty set yes empty set um yeah function is actually another techno band um or techno group but um Yes, Empty Set, right? Empty Set is the most sort of extreme metal version of that, the first oh, Empty Set I love there. that. that yeah. I, I have listened to them so many times since you introduced them to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I had a big moment when I was listening to tons of shit like that and in that sort of industrial techno stuff. Um, but the... So, Empty Set is, like, the most extreme metal, the most, like, overtly God-fleshy or whatever. Um, but uh, there was all these bands influenced... All these groups or producers influenced by burial uh and sort of connecting it to more heaviness whether it was they were listening to pantera or they were listening to godflesh or both mm -hmm. um and it was kind of like stuff that the broderick scene had always been doing like techno animal yep. but like with with this sort of like dubstep you know cyber jamaican aspect and it even verged into stuff like grime. There was a guy called Geica who had these kind of like heavy, sort of like, it was like sort of like black cyberpunk, basically. Mm -hmm. Like sort of like heavy, it was sort of like these kind of heavy dubstepy burial kind of beats with this sort of uh, brooding, you know, cigarettes in the rain kind of voice, right? That sounds cool. <laughs> no, it's, it, was, it was pretty cool. It, it's, um, uh, the, um, but it was like, so it was part of this sort of constellation of that was like the la I think the last quantum leap in extreme music technology especially with like in absolute terms like technology was back then with like sub bass stuff and certain kinds of ways of 
noise manipulation and production. Mm -hmm. um, and this harkens back to the more melodic, colorful stuff at that time. Um, and also to sort of uh, things in the alt-rock and alt-rock or indie or synth music sphere a little earlier than that, which we both picked up on. Yeah. Well, so speaking of all that, uh, let's get to some samples. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not going to editorialize before it because I'm going to gush after it. Let's listen to uh, a section off the first song on this album, which was also the lead single for the record, Drone Carrying Dread. pretty bold to start your record with obviously the best track on it but it this is just a huge song like it, it's the earliest contender in my like song of the year you know pseudo list i keep in my head um it's it's so evocative it, it's so atmospheric the lyrics are worth a discussion of their own describing this sort of this, this fragmented, impressionistic kind of idea of, you know, 
resource wars in the far post-apocalyptic future, just stories of, like, militias scrabbling over territory and stuff in this wonderfully abstract way. Um, and this is, again, I get back to, say, you know, Terminator 2 soundtrack, like, kind of early 90s um, electronic soundtrack music. And just the idea of it, like, this is... I've talked before about the idea of, you know, a song that can launch a thousand bands. This is one of those. There's so much to dig out of this. This majestic, slow, unbelievably heavy, thematically rich stuff. I mean, you you can make an album out of this song very easily. It's definitely got... I like that it's as long as it is. Um, mm. It's like eight minutes. So it's got this sort of immediate hook thing going on. Um, but it carries on for a metal length of time. And there is some um, serious change-ups in the back last three minutes or so. Like, stuff definitely happens over the course of the song. There's a um, That's one of the things that I think makes this distinctive. It's, it's, it's not verse-chorusy. It's not... It's Vocally, he's nailed his own version of the sort of 90s yell shout... Sort of 90s yell sing. Yeah. But, like, it's not like Nine Inch Nails. Which is... It's interesting that you say that because I, I, I feel like I can detect a direct line from Nine Inch Nails to this. No, no, there is a direct line. I just mean that they're not being structured in this kind of punchy way. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, of course, they're not, they're of course they're they're album... Be, they're not trying to be tough or cool at all. Well, and, and also just like, you know, like Nine Inch Nails songs, there are album tracks that are really extreme. Like, we all remember Loving March of the Pigs, right? But, mm. like, generally, they're, like, the, the big Nine Inch Nails tracks are very verse-chorus and, like, condensed four-minute, you know, get-in-and-get-out sort of This is more, like, deals. fragile or broken or something. Oh, like, yeah, no, that's stuff. true. Yeah. God, it's been so long since I've really listened to Nine Inch Nails. I mean, Downward Spiral has stuff like that, too. I mean... Yeah, yeah. I, I think this I is mean, a little bit closer to, like, the EP stuff where he's playing around a little bit more. Yeah. Indulgent, yeah, like... Yeah, so, I mean, this is, um, the way the synths, the very lush aspect of the synths here, I think another thing that's big on this record that is certainly big for Youth Code and Three Teeth, but this guy's, I'm sure, getting it right from the source in the way they were, is early Skinny Puppy. Yeah. Um, Like Vivisect era. Um, And if you listen to Vivisect, um... Skinny Puppy were always into barriers to access, right? That's why they never, that's why they influenced a thousand hot topic people, but like never ever themselves belonged in that world. Mm-hmm. Because, um, we, uh, we, we are, we're pro Skinny Puppy on this show, I believe. Yes, we're, we're very pro Skinny Puppy. And so what I was just going to say is that Vivisect, I mean, God, if you want extreme music, listen to Too Dark Park, Jesus Christ. Oh, what a um, weird record. <laughs> that's like, it'll just like give you a seizure. Um, but like, but so Vivisect has these gorgeous sort of um, glassy kind of you could sort of glassy sci- dystopic cyberpunk synths with a lot of feeling in them mm-hmm. um, and a lot of just like raw power in the basic melodies and riffs. But because they're skinny puppy, they decided to make it all sound like breaking glass. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it is. I, I it's actually a record I've listened to a lot. 
but it is quite, um, it's, it's demanding. Um, this guy seems to have dug out that lush sense of melody and, and played it over a much broader canvas. And, and, you know, that's undeniably cool. Well, yeah, I mean, it, this kind of relates to uh, the stuff that I was talking about uh, on our last episode with Syndexioi, which is in the metal scene, we have a tendency to discount production and just, you know, timbre and tinkering with sounds mm-hmm. as, you know, something like, I don't know, sort of indulgent or sort of, you know, not real music in a sense. Mm-hmm. But stuff like Syndexioi. And, and that, to be fair, I often err on that side. Yeah. No, I I, yeah, I understand yeah. the impulse. Mm-hmm. It, it is a you know it is fighting against a popular music which is all about that exclusively. Yeah, but yeah. but stuff like this or Syndexioi is proof that we should not throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, yes. there's there's a ton of artistic relevance to tinkering with these tones, to exploring tone color, and finding ways for that to reinforce narrative music. Um, which is why I would say, like, one of the things that makes this cool and makes this relevant to metalheads is that these are narrative songs. This is very, yeah, I don't hear metal as narrative music in the way you do, or, like, as inherently narrative. Okay. Uh, It's a thing that's come up before a few times. Um, but it, but it definitely can be. I think it's move. I think I'm hearing more stuff that's moving in that direction. I mean, the, the, the... Um, the next record we're about to review sounds like polar opposite of this, but is also very narrative. Yeah, that's true. That comes with it. Um, uh, and, you know, the, the, the Syndexioi and the Vlada both had narrative structures, um, although like fiercely homogenous sounds, but sort of narratives unfolding over the course of the record, especially the Vlada. Um, this is, um, yeah, that sound tinkering you definitely hear, uh, paying off here i mean overall this song like it's not as unfamiliar to me there were bands doing that whose names i can't remember you know doing songs like this 10 years ago oh dude Um, definitely look them up because i i please inject this into my veins black metal guy (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. okay there there is stuff like like it is however i mean would they be doing it with quite the same you know like I mean, I could imagine Youth Code doing a slow one that is like this. But, like, would someone... this? There's undoubtedly distinctive things about what this guy is doing. In part, his... Uh, you know, you can hear... There are a lot of people the who God swing for there. The, yeah. yeah, but it's there in the other things, too. I would say, if anything, it's less in this record than I expected. Mm, um, okay. This less, like, distinctly God flesh stuff. Um, it, it, there's none of the like, to be fair, I don't listen to their later stuff that much, but there's, there's not the sort of like uneasy harmony or the battering rhythms or the sort of like fried noise guitar, right? Yeah, um, th- this, this definitely has more to do with later Godflesh, I would say. Yeah, it's, um, and also I would assume maybe this can segue us in some way, although who knows, maybe this segues actually to your next sample, <laughs> but, um, uh, we, could, we could do mine. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, let's swing. The, let's let's just do it. it. It makes sense. Um, the other thing that's going to be on a lot of people's minds after hearing that is Jesus. So, what I want to ask you is: Is this how Jesus sounds? I feel. Oh, go ahead. Because because I've barely like I remember like back in the day I would give them a try once in a while, listen to one track, and be like, nope. Yeah. So so full disclosure, I like 
like the first couple Chisu records. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're pretty good for what they are, but Jisu as a band has always been a matter of unfulfilled potential. Um, mm-hmm. Here we're going to go to a track called Maiden Star, which also connecting to some of you said earlier, this is where you're going to get a lot of that alt and indie rock stuff. Um, this is, to me, what Jisu sounds like if they fulfill you know, the promise on the can. So uh, the way this relates to Jace, who is obviously in that big kind of chorus part, this very like I I hate it when people say this, but the blissed out 
major key stuff. Um, it's, uh, you know, th those are melodic structures that you would definitely hear on Jesu, but on, on Jesu, it, the edges would be softened even more. It would be like, we want really low bass tones, but we don't want you to be, <laughs> we don't want your heart rate to go over 80 BPM at any point on this, you know? Mm. <laughs> um, I, I know that you don't really like this sample. I, I like it because, okay, so it's keeping up the melodic inflection that is more prominent on this record. But then, again, getting back to tone, just having those huge, you know, distorted bass hits gives it dimension, you know. And the blissed out stuff would be too much if that ate up the entire song. But, you know, after that, you get into stuff that's a little bit more furtive, you know, a little bit darker, still kind of accessible, still pop oriented in a sense, but... You know, we're, we're getting back into, uh, you know, as I've mentioned on a couple records that we covered over the past year or so, kind of like Smashing Pumpkins territory, like the, the kind of alt rock that I still really respect. Yeah, I, I hear it connecting to Pumpkins for sure. Um, and I do really like the Pumpkins. Um, I, I guess for me, um, th this is all really familiar. And this track is like, the melodies and harmonies here are, um, yeah, they connect to stuff I like, like Pumpkins. Um, a band that's really good that they connect to is A Place to Bury Strangers. Do you know them? No, not at all. Oh, that's actually a name check. That That's something people from this show should check out. That's stuff that if you were like in the metal or hardcore underground, you probably didn't quite like notice okay. because it, they were from the last remnants of when you could maybe have a Torian indie band and make money. <laughs> but they were, the guy made pedals in a warehouse in Williamsburg and his <laughs> music, his music was, um, uh, the band was like very aggressive shoegaze, you know, okay. Uh, okay. They, they listed their influences as like, you know, uh, you know, like uh, my bloody Valentine, you know, obviously fucking Jesus and Mary chain, like motorhead venom, you know, okay. back way, way, way before it was cool for, you know, for, you know, Williamsburg type people to do that shit. Um, or when it was only just becoming cool. Um, and so it's, yeah, no, it plays to where strangers is awesome. It has powerful noise stuff. Um, and, uh, well, I guess a big band for them would be Loop, who were related to Godflesh, actually. Um, but um, but this this sounds a bit like a place to bury Stranger song, but sort of less, much less aggressive. Well, like I mean, this is I mean, this whole discussion is kind of interesting because what you're pointing at is, you know, a, a phenomena that we've talked about on the show. Like, for instance, um, you know, when ISIS comes out. And we have to develop a term in the metal scene for it because nobody had heard post-rock or certain kinds of post-hardcore before. So maybe it's like you're talking about a lineage of stuff that you already know and understand being having access to different scenes that most of us may not have. Like like we always say on the show, I'm, I'm the long hair. So I... Yes. 
So the reference points you're talking about are probably really interesting to a lot of our listeners, but we just never hung out with those people, you know? Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I mean, people on the show have some idea of this probably, but, you know, as a kid, I was into like punk and in a very expansive sense of the word and like sort of gothy stuff and post-punk and the sort of garage rock stuff at the time, some of which was quite extreme, you know, like Mm. uh, check out the hunches. But um, I still remember some of the cool shit you showed me back in the day, like milk, you know. (laughs) Oh God, I forget milk. That was that was that was after I was stopping starting. That was when I was losing interest in that whole scene. But milk, actually, I think I saw at. I may have seen milk at. I think Death by Audio was the name of the place to bury strangers guys pedal company, and I think I saw milk at Death by Audio. Which uh, that, that was cool. You talked like to he had me a venue. about them, and I was like, yeah. "Oh, dude!" And it's like, well, mm-hmm. "This is weird. This is like grunge and kind of punk, but I don't hate it." What's what? What's what? Are, what are these changes in my growing body? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Milk was a solid. Yeah, Milk was a solid sort of like uh, catchy rock and roll, heavy rock and roll band, right? Yeah, that yeah, was. Yeah. Yeah, Death by Audio. I'm right. Yes, it was also the where the effects pedal company was based. So he, I saw them play at the Place to Bury Strangers guys venue. Um, but um, yeah, so exactly. So there's stuff from that lineage that I was tuned into, you know, like or when I was like 15, I really liked Interpol. I mean, still do. The first record is great. Everything else after that is trash. Yeah, that, but that first record's really good. Yeah, it's it's a it's a masterpiece. I'd love to talk about it on a bonus sometime. But like um. But, like, basically, I was tapped into this whole thing that was sort of, like, punk music that wasn't part of, like, the the the, the crusty or hardcore underground. Mm-hmm. As well as, like, listening to... Con- I also, like, you know, got into Converge and shit at that time, right? And was also, you know, uh, all sorts of other stuff. But, like, um, so that's kind of my background. And so by the time I was first getting into black metal and shit, I was still paying attention to some of that stuff. Um, and so that, that's where I have some of these reference points from, but yeah, this guy's really drawing on a whole lineage of sort of like lush, you know, lush nineties kind of lush eighties and nineties, all stuff. Or another thing from that era that this record's a lot like is M83. Mm, Um, now M83, mostly we know all from that song, Midnight City, which is just makes me want to (laughs) die. Um, but before that, M83 was one of those bands that, like, deserved to be huge. Like, they got huge because they deserved it. Yeah. And it was this sort of phenomenal music that was kind of like, uh, um, it was pastiche for sure. It was like his dream vision of everything cool about the 80s. But, like, it, it, you know, um, sort of like glorious kind of shoegaze meets new order songs or something shoegaze is 90s is that's why pastiche there's a lot of 90s stuff in it too and like kate bush in it and things mm-hmm. like that so that he did this pop record and before that he it was a duo and he did sort of powerful analog synth music that actually often was kind of metal and a lot of the harmonies in this are kind of like the early M83 stuff and also the later M83 stuff. Well, now, it, 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 it's funny that you say that because there's like a Portishead cover on this record, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I got to say, I feel that one is a misstep. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 I'm not a huge fan of it. I get where he's coming from. But you know. I, I, it's a statement. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you don't need to explain to us what you're doing. 
<laughs> I, I feel like, you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Maiden Star explains it and also seems to be named after. What, what's that? Something Star? Isn't that a Portis Head or Massive Attack song? Or are you just thinking of Mazzy Star? Or? No, well, that's a band, but like, isn't there some like song, like Blank Star? I mean, maybe. I just, yeah. I, I, I only listen to Portis Head covers, you know? <laughs> I, I only listen to them at parties. Um, yeah. It, uh, you know, not, not, yeah, not, it's, it's, it's Portis Head is music that I encounter. But, um, <laughs> well, we, we should probably listen to more music just for the sake yeah, of time. So, yeah, sorry. Yeah. We're, this is, this is all good stuff, but yeah. like, oh, we're, we're running long. <laughs> That's true. We should go to bed. Um, all right. Let's listen to one more. So, Basically, yeah, that sounds like that's like a version of stuff I know, but it's a version of it that I don't like very much. Um, and the way the vocal melodies work in Maiden Star just reminds me too much of like straight up indie rock. It has I kind of you. like a wooey u thing, a cascading wooey u. It's just a more <laughs> manly. It's a more manly version of that, but it was a vocal pattern that was everywhere for about a decade and i still have i'm, I'm still you're dealing with the trauma exactly i'm dealing with the trauma so uh let's go listen to um something that's more matches your first pick so drone carrying dread seems to really go with centurion okay and i feel like this is uh this is another one of the highlights for me
that is really cool. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, it's a. I, I should have expected that you would have gone with the one that's most like a black metal song in a way. <laughs> <laughs> How so? Oh, something about this. Um, it's obviously like it's an electronic industrial take on it, but these tense kind of like third motions in the melody. Uh-huh. It, it's um, I don't know. There, there's something that strikes me as like very. It's the same sort of intervals you hear in a mayhem song. It's very fluid, and the sense of time is so different. But I hear what you mean. Like you yeah. could trim it out. Like, blah, blah, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I hear that. Um, I also think the vocal performance here is phenomenal. Um, like what what he does here and in some places on Drone Carrying Dread and in some other places in the record is uh, often he's fully on the sort of alt signal. Mm-hmm. Here he's doing that but with God flesh in the back of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's he's like he's doing Broderick Broderick Bello singing which is uh I'm sure quite difficult to do and he's doing it with all he's not just like hitting root he's not just like bringing out the tone in it he's following a melody yeah um while remaining with very deep fry so I mean amoebics is kind of like that but you know much more uh <laughs> much less controlled right <laughs> um uh this is um so th- that's pretty cool and it's um and the lyrics are cool it, you know it's something about you know uh, you know, something ready for the siege, something forlorn centurion, something like American Legion, uh, blood in the streets. Maybe, did he say blood in the sheets? I don't know. Everyone's cursing. <laughs> you know, there is something, something about some sort of like, uh, you know, some sort of militant defender of of some order of some kind, right? Who is feeling like, who sort of uh, lost his place in the world and is watching it collapse, Yeah, right? It reminds me almost of, I don't play video, I don't play this game, but is this like a reference to Caesar's Legion and Fallout? (laughs) Possibly. Caesar's Legion is more like expansionist and imperialistic, but... um, one thing I did want to associate with this uh, that might make this make more sense is uh, this is a COVID record, and especially apparently the initial kind of stems of these songs were done mm-hmm. during the riots in 2020. Yeah, I was wondering if it kind of had something to do with that too. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that mm-hmm. this whole sort of like global or societal collapse thing mm-hmm. is running throughout this music. I mean, that's always been yeah, any sort of industrial kind of cyberpunky stuff like this is going to have that as a background aspect, but it really comes to the forefront on this record more and, than others. I think. And I would say on this track in particular, yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, you know, watching the place you thought you knew crumble around you and mm-hmm. wondering if you're obsolete. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the um, yeah, and you know the weird thing. I just want to say one. I think we don't even need to because we've taken so much time. I'm not even sure we need to go to my last sample. That's just some more drum and bassy stuff. 
But the Easter egg I want to throw in here in relation to 90s alt stuff is there was something about those lyrics that reminded me of, I think, the lead single on the last Tool record. Mm. Which was something about, you know, it was Maynard singing something about, it was basically lyrics about, like, being old but getting back in the trenches. Kind of this meta <laughs> thing about, like, oh, God, here we go doing a Tool tour again. Um, but also speaking more broadly, I think, to just, like... A realistic, a sort of um, <laughs> stoic but realistic approach to middle age, you know, um, and a feeling that you know one is like you know like uh, it's basically like has lyrics about sucking your gut in, um, yeah. and 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 it's something that sense of like uh, um, a that sense of sort of values persisting after their moment or disorientation or loss of you know loss of relevance or whatever is sort of sort of here too and the weird thing is i looked up who it's feet justin chancellor who's justin chancellor oh he's the bassist of tool yeah and there's another song with danny carey on it oh that's right i that's where danny i, I see i don't i forget their names yeah, yeah so there's like okay there's half of tool on this yeah yeah <laughs> ah that's yeah, now that I know that, I have to listen to the whole thing again.
All right, and we are back from chuckling about um, Thaw and Youth Code to discuss Kampfeswut. Um, that is the Wut or rage or wrath or, you know, um, craziness of struggle. And this is uh, Des Barden Schwarzer Gesang, Old Mill, which would probably mean something like, the, you know, the, the Song of the Black Bards or something. Something you know. of that effect, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which which of those is is uh, which of those is genitive? Um, yeah. What whatever. Um, you know, bards. You know, black metal. Um, and this is out on Old Mill Productions. Um, this is in the word as I was talking about with Reese, and Reese confirms this. This is the most aggressive thing Old Mill has released now. Some of the Hollyruna stuff actually gives them a run for their money. But um, this is a strange and interesting record in that really, uh, I wrote in the notes, have we ever heard a record move so seamlessly from calm D&D session to drunk powerlifting? <laughs> right? You're, you're like, instead of drinking water, you're just drinking. Um, <clears throat> well, it's a, it's a record that kind of like embodies everything within this field uh mm-hmm. you know it, it was interesting looking at you know like their band camp describing themselves as like in some sense like a, a dungeon synth band which is like i guess i can kind of see that but i also think of it as just like cool folk interludes on abigor albums and stuff you know well i think it really fits with so what we should say up front is that this is a strangely structured album, extremely narrative. Um, uh, the the sort of the first track introduces us to some of the more aggressive ideas, which then really don't come back full bore until the last five tracks, mm-hmm. and and you know the last one's an outro, I think. But um, it's um, it, it, so it, it's it moves from. Seamless from really well executed sort of acoustic stuff with authentic Germanic folk underpinnings uh, and sort of like folk metally choruses of a certain kind occasionally. It moves towards just like extremely brutal and aggressive sort of like fighting music at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, so the way it's it's one of those sort of I get why they say dungeon synth because it's like a form, right? You know, it's again, it's one of those how are they structuring it things, you know, just like we were, um, you, you know, it's, how are they structuring it? Uh, we were debating that about Karova last night, right? But um, mm-hmm. like this is structure. It's this is like the Haliaruna stuff in that it's structured in this sort of. Um, Different songs play different roles. They sound very different, but they're on this continuum that has a similar melodic sensibility. Uh, you know, um, or like the Syndexioi, this is after kind of different... It's very engaged with the BM tradition, but it's after kind of a different affect. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, it's narrative like the Vlada. Again, we're just starting to get all this stuff that is firmly of the tradition that just doesn't really sound like anything that before i mean the main reference point as far as the main overall reference point for this is clearly absurd um but only in the very general outline 
that is later absurd, right? The the, the music before um, Blutgericht is just terrible. Um, <laughs> we, were, we were talking about that the other night, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we think the Germans have this thing. Absurd and, uh, what, what's what's the other one? Anargaroth, right? They're like bands that are like hit or they're bands that have an extremely patchy catalogs but have been really influential on good bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and so ab- Absurd really only sort of figures out what they're all about more than halfway through their career. Um, and then they get this idea of German black metal as sort of modern bardic song, right? Um, that also really influences Horn, who was on the who was the first one of the first things we ever reviewed on the show. It was on the first episode episode ever. Yes, so Horn would be an intermediary, and I think you can hear some direct Horn influence from him in that it sort of takes the folk elements in the music way more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it doesn't really sound like either of those bands because both of them are focused on just sort of like pummeling, stomping, you know, uh, stomping through the mountains, pushing trolls over kind of songs, yeah. right? This is, uh, um, this is really just, uh, there's way more just actual folk in it, and it way more has one of these kind of soundscapey narrative dungeon synthy things. I don't know. How do you hear it? I, I I get a lot of what you're saying, and I think it's all correct. Um, I think that uh, just based off my listening experience, I can think of other things that I'm connecting this to um, that are especially German. Um, not even the sense of, like, German folk, but German metal in general that kind of accesses folk. Uh, mm-hmm. One band that I brought up on the show, very obscure, deep cut things, but we, we used them as an interlude one time, uh, Deceit, uh, which is a very cool kind of like black folk power metal band that not a lot of people know. Um, another band that apparently I introduced you to, uh, which was Ice Reagan. Uh, oh, wait, honestly, dude, I feel like, yeah, Deceit, or I, I thought of one of these bands when I heard this. Mm-hmm. It was probably a decent. Ice Reagan is a little bit gothier, so. Got it. Oh, yeah, no, I remember Ice Reagan. Ice Reagan is trench coat. Yeah. Extremely trench coat. Yeah, no, okay, I remember decent. So, yes, this is like those. Um. Uh. Yeah, go on. Or uh, maybe even something, something that was, like, kind of cool in the mid-2000s and is totally forgotten now. Have you ever heard a band called uh, The Apocalyptician Writer? The Apocalypse Riders. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I think I've seen the name, but that's just because we've seen every name at this point. Well, they were like a a, a pretty prominent, I believe, German, maybe Austrian, uh, mm-hmm. folk metal band from the mid two thousands, kind of before the big folk metal wave of the late two thousands. Um, and I can hear a little bit of that here. Uh, so this is definitely drawing off of all the things you're talking about, but it's also drawing off a lineage of kind of Teutonic folk metal, um, which which tends to be heavier and more aggressive than the things we think of as folk, you know, like the like the Finnish lineage of right, folk right. stuff, which is like blech. But yeah, <coughs> Finland has done plenty of great metal, but folk metal was never their fucking strong suit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, definitely the absurd thing. We were talking about absurd the other night about how... Oh, do you say it actually shared a member with absurd, although the Metal Archives insists the lyrical themes are not the same. 
I don't know. That, that's ancient metal archives. My my, so. my German is uh, completely failed me in recent yes. years. Yes. Um, uh, trying to relearn Spanish. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I think we're both talking about things that are influential here. We just have different experiences, but together we can patch together a sort of lineage. You've got this, uh, you know, stompy oi folk black metal stuff on your side, and I've got this um, kind of like similar DNA, but coming from a more almost like heavy and power metal or yeah more more sort of heavy metal-ish more sort of more accessible less yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 more long hair stuff and i think the important thing is how this band fuses these things together because i really fucking like this record um i think it's it's still kind of gestational in a way yeah but it that's, definitely yeah but that's one of the things that makes it exciting because I can I can see into the future. I'm looking into my orb, and you know, I, can, I can imagine what this project does in five years, and it's going to be fucking unbelievable because this is super fun and cool now. I'm going to show this to some of my friends that are into stuff like this, and they're going to be really stoked about it. Like, this is a really wonderful fusion of just, like, straight party drinking music as well as legitimate artistic craft which is i think what terminus is about that's the ideal record for absolutely us. oh wait one more name drop that falls in somewhere in this kind of closer to your side but with blast beats heimdall's vacht um, oh, I, I might be dimly familiar with the name, but no, not really. They, they, he's he's close with the Hidden's Heart guy, um, oh. but uh, or they are close with the Hidden's Heart guy, but they are sort of like they were sort they would be called black metal now, but it's like a lot like Vinterland and back. It's like Vinterland meets the kind of stomping, rocking folk metal stuff you're talking about, and okay. so back in the day they might get called melodic black death or something like or heathen just pagan metal or something yeah well we'll, um, we'll definitely talk about some of the maybe outside black metal influences here a little bit yeah. later but so let's get yeah we better get into the tracks so dare let's start off um this is uh well, this, this is just, you know, um, a first full track, good sense of uh, the range, the spectrum of feelings on the first part of the record. This is Der Ruf der Bergeister. Es wird Nacht, fort ist die Farbenpracht, finster und schwer stehen sie umher, schwarz-blau mit düsteren Stirnen, selbst die weißen Föhnen leuchten nicht mehr. Schaut empor, ein Haupt ragt vor, über alle und taucht in des Lichtquells letzten fliehenden Schein den Scheitel ein, zart, mich weisig und rosig angehaucht. Oh, 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 oh,
So that's a really good example of event-driven songwriting. Uh-huh. Right? It's like the song is about a certain event, which is the gigantic summoning chorus that is the entire middle of the song. Yeah, the mountains, mountains, mountains. Yep. Um, and... <laughs> You know, I can tell that I've, you know, this is another one of those how far down the neo-folk martial industrial iceberg are you? Because when I hear, (laughs) even when I hear that disco beat behind it, I'm just like, yeah, the mountains. Well, it's it's interesting because, like, kind of what we were talking about in the intro to this section, like, you can get there from completely different paths. Because mm-hmm. I can definitely see the whole neo-folk leading to this idea, but it's also totally contiguous with just straight Germanic folk black stuff that I've heard back in the 2000s. So, I mean, maybe they're listening to each other or something, but uh, yeah, that, that's something that's very interesting. This this record kind of splits the difference between these... I mean, that that fits with Old Mill, right? The idea of, you know... The folk stuff and the black metal stuff not being different, you know, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Being, not being separate ideas, which is definitely conveyed by this record as a whole. W- would a German folk metal band do the disco beat? Oh, yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> the, the German I guess one, that's what makes it folk metal, huh? The, the German ones are the most likely to do the disco <laughs> beat, in fact. <laughs> no, they, they can never get away from that, like, Deutsch disco thing, you know? Right, right. You're sort of like polka. You're sort of like dancing to, yeah, dancing to the accordion, but sort of just, like, grooving. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, okay, well, that, that makes sense. Um. But yeah, you know, the actual folk stuff, right, is, you know, well done, right? The whole song just, it's like mountains. It's its sort of flat, and then there's the mountains, and then it gets kind of flat again. But the folk stuff is not just there as pure intro and outro, right? It lingers yeah. on the folk stuff at the begin, at the end. Um, well, it's like it, you wrote in the notes, and I think it's a, a very good way to phrase it. It has inherent interest. You know, it's, it's not, you know, a... It's not there to perform a function. It is a full part of the song. Yeah, it's not there to like walk it out or to tell you it's folky. Yeah, it's 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 written out and there's some relationship to real German folk music, you know? There's the, the accordion stuff and you can in neo folk you could relate it to some of the more authentic sounding stuff like Vermeulot who came out last year. I have a hard time believing these guys. These guys probably are aware of him. Um, but, uh, that was an honorable mention. That was a non-metal mention for me on last year's year end. Um, or like the early of the wand and the moon stuff or something, but yeah, it's, it's quite, quite nice. Um, yeah, I was about to say, that's the thing is like, these guys make it really fucking cool, you know, mm-hmm. like the, there's a lot of neo folk stuff that I respect, but it's also like. I, I'm never gonna. There, I have never been in the mood for this in my entire life. Here, it's like, oh yeah, th- this folk shit. I can I can party to this. Let's go. <laughs> well, yeah, in some sense, it makes it less cool. Right? Yeah, it yeah, makes yeah. it more more immediate, more fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I yeah. The um the two things I named, you'd probably get a kick out of, but um especially of the early of the wand and the moon. That's kind of weird party music. I, I, but, I've um, heard that name a bunch of times, yeah. but I've never listened to it. Yeah. But yeah, so your pick. Uh yeah, so um, I've got a, a pick kind of like yours in that it 
explains the record. Um, mm-hmm. This is kind of kind of an odd one because it's a, a short song. We'll listen to the whole thing, and it's an instrumental. Uh, it's called Sedna Zugrund, and what's interesting to me is that this really dovetails, I think, both of our perspectives on this because uh, you've got this like very true folk black thing going on in the song, but you've also just got Amana Marth. You've got like accessible party music, and. I, I think one of the profound strengths of this band, because I, dude, I'm really into this record, is the fact that they don't see those as separate things. Mm-hmm. These are all, again, we, I, I've said this a few times already, but all of these ideas are contiguous with each other. This guy does not perceive any of these. He doesn't perceive himself as bridging gaps between ideas. Yeah. He's like. This all makes sense to go together, and god damn it, when you listen to a song like this, yeah, that makes sense. kind of talked i mean at some point in however many episodes about how the the distinction between you know supposed high art and low art is completely artificial like there's there's no reason you should not be able to incorporate just sick cool long hair stuff like old amonamarth with your dramatic and legitimately informed take on folk black metal. Yeah. Yeah. You hear that here? I mean, the, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, this is such a weird song. So people listening to that in isolation art might think like, I mean, if you listen to it in isolation, it kind of sounds like it just builds to nowhere. Right. We get the, you know, the big sort of uh, tandem guitar thing and then when it dro- when it gets more intense is when like the nuchal harp or whatever it is comes back in, right? Yeah. The sawed folk harp, which is really cool. That's a very like at the gates thing to do almost. Like yeah. you have the violin <laughs> part be the brutal part. Um 
but then it just sort of fades out again. And the reason that's not just a, a blue ball is because all these songs sort of depend on each other. Yeah. I was about to get into basically that idea, which is, so one thing that's really cool about this record that I think should be expanded upon and maybe even intensify is this kind of micro song aspect of it. Mm -hmm. A lot of these songs are super short and there's a, a sort of like youthful spontaneity about them where it's like, Hey, I've got this one really cool part. Um, so why not just record that part? I'm not going to fluff it out with four more riffs. I have this one idea I want to communicate, and I'll do some variations and I'll play around with it, but it's done in under two minutes. And again, why not? Why the artificial restriction that we have to make it a real song by padding it out to five minutes? Because honestly, a lot of these sub-two-minute compositions feel more complete than fucking most of the five-minute songs I've listened to in my life, you know? Yeah, say it's avoiding a problem that, uh, say, a lot of things in the Franco-Finnish, sort of in the uh, second and third tier of Franco-Finnish style stuff yeah, get into, yeah. right? Which is sort of just like, well, damn, we have this cool chorus riff. Oh, God, now we have to write a song. Like, oh, you no. know, like, <laughs> oh, God, here comes the verse. Okay, there's the chorus. All right, here's the slow part in 6, 8. Okay, here we go back. Phew. We're at the chorus again. Can you right? not just describe a song that I wrote, please? On the show? <laughs> You're literally describing the exact structure of one of my songs. <laughs> my, my technique is just uh, play the low string over and over again. Yeah. Um, Honorable, diligent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the um, but um, anyway. So that that's it, it's um. Yes, there is nothing, um, it, it eliminates the need for any sort of phoned-in structure. There are occasionally tracks like Involved that have our more elaborate black metal structures, which that one's weirdly in French, those mm -hmm. lyrics. Um, uh, um, but it's not most of them. You know, it's rare for something to go above three minutes. And I, yeah, I like this. It's just sort of punky. You could imagine that they would sound underdone, but they don't. Um, no, they, they feel like very complete ideas. And I was the I, guy I, from Molested and Borkinakar wrote very short songs. I was thinking the other day, like under four, consistently. I mean, I was I was saying my dream for this band is to do a uh, a suite. Uh, of a record of like 30, 90 second songs. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's like feasible for this guy. That'd like, be sick. Wouldn't that be fucking yeah, sick? It would be sick. You know, yeah, you could throw in a few longer ones, and in that context, a record, a song that's like four or five minutes long would feel like an epic. Oh, you know, Isatai did this too, and I really liked that about oh, Isatai. That's true. Yeah. Theirs are a little bit longer because you need more time to let those just big, heavy riffs rock out. But like, you know, there that's Isatai is thrashy kind of in you know a primal black metal way. You need you just need time to headbang. But like, they're done almost all of them before four minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so releasing. So this is a good example of a record that releases arbitrary heavy metal idea, arbitrary long hair ideas about song length, while mobilizing every long hair trick in the book. Yeah. <laughs> 
it, it's to fill in those songs. The ultimate long hair, short hair combination. Yeah, in some way the song exactly. Yeah, powers combined. In some way the song is the whole like the. You know, you talk about heavy metal as narrative music, right? That's a very long hair idea. Like, Rhyme of the yeah, Ancient yeah. Mariner. Well, you know what? Uh, I mean, the, this each individual song is just a thing happening, but the whole record is the narrative. Um, yes. And so speaking of which, right, for the entire first part of the record, I've listened to this while walking around outside, and it's literally just like, hey, this is regular life. It's like, I am walking over boring fields. I am stopping in at a tavern. I am exchanging gossip with a peasant. Um, right? And then you get to, um, you know, maybe having an emotion at the mountains. Right? And then we get to, uh, oh, where, where's, the, where's the real place where the pedal hits the metal? It's kind of like, uh, I, think it's, I think it's this, maybe Gesang von Sternenlichten, but I think it's Die Verführung des uh, Johann Faustus. Um, which might mean, what is Verführung? Is is this about like when Faust steps outside? Because that would be awesome. Um, we were talking about Faustian black metal yesterday with fucking Karova. Yeah, it's one of those, um, uh, one of those agglutinative words. Seduction. The seduction of Faustus. Okay, good. So yeah, so if, when Faustus is sort of, uh, given the Mephistophelian promise, um, let's... Li here, uh, shit gets real. Protector of mankind, right? Yeah, it's uh, 
right? That's definitely not so not above some late Amanamarthism. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but even more than that, like the thing that a thing that you often say, but that this reminded me of is like this sounds like metalcore, like not in a bad way, almost like like no, I get it, yeah. Like brutal German metalcore, right? This is like a heaven shall burn. I, I was about to say heaven shall burn. Putting putting <laughs> super putting half blasts under like shortened, furiously clipped Amon Amarth riffs. That's like their career. Yeah. Um, uh, and and it's done so. And I love that. Right. I, I that whole sort of apocalyptic German metalcore sound is awesome. Um, and it really works here. Um, and. God, there's a lot to talk about with this song. So, um, you know, the overall thing is kind of like there's not a single black metal riff on it, mm-hmm. but it's it's a black metal song, obviously, being created by, like, this merger of, like, folk metal, metalcore, and, like, war metal half-blasts, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, like, normally you'd hear those in, like, a fucking, you know, like, Diocletian song or something. Um it's uh, and the really cool things happen structure structurally. You heard me sort of like say shout in the middle of the track, right? <laughs> you do that a lot, to be fair. <laughs> true, true. I, I yes, I do a lot of shouting. You you also got moshed by your cat. Um, yeah, yeah. My my cat bit my foot. Yeah, he was. Yeah, this is um entranced by the riffs. <laughs> entranced by the riffs. So um berserking. Um, but the uh. You know, there's this kind of like the beginning of the song is pretty high energy, sort of folk metal type stuff, and then it just stops, right? Basically, mm-hmm. it does a grindcore or hardcore thing. It just stops, and then it's like, this is the new song now, yeah. and you, you just the half blast comes in, and the the sort of this like uh, metalcore Amon Amarth riff. Um, and then when he introduces the half blast, right? This is again, it's like that thing with like the folk having inherent interest. Mm-hmm. Using a half blast in a context like this, outside of a few very restricted types of music, which I love, uh, would be. I'm, you know, I'm a huge half blast guy. I'm always advocating yeah. <laughs> for the underrepresented half blast. Um, uh, like, um, it's usually used to change things up. Right, it's like, well, I've been blasting for eight bars. Time to do a half blast or something, yeah. right? Or it's used as punctuation, or maybe as a climax, right? Here, uh, it's just where the song picks up momentum, and it's this beat that's um, often deliberately used as a kind of static plateau, and there's like one riff over it, and then the riff changes. Here, that's where the development happens. So it's just this really steady pulse, and it's almost like rediscovering blast beats in a really cool way. It's like rediscovering the joy of like, yes, you can just do this over and over again. <laughs> so, no, yeah, yeah, I I get that, and I think um, I think I'm gonna get at a lot of similar ideas with my next sample, because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we're we're gonna talk a little bit more about technical performance in general. Um, so. I'm going to play the uh, the song actually immediately after yours. Uh, this one's called Freiheit, with mm-hmm. a question mark, apparently. Um, so uh, let's listen to this one, and then I'm going to talk about guitar performance specifically. <laughs> Lasst euch 
I think is really cool about this record and I think is, should be explored more by other metal bands it's it's a little bit weird to talk about but I'll try to phrase it as best I can you know because I'm like I'm a guitarist I, I, I play guitar in a uh, in a black metal band there there tends to be a tendency uh, in metal guitarists where you reach um, you reach a certain point in your technical skill and you're playing, I'm saying, you know, kind of arbitrarily within 30% of that. Like, you tend not to stick with very simple stuff once you get to a certain level. What makes this music interesting is that the whole range of this guy's technical ability is represented. And more specifically, uh, there's a... There's a tendency to sit around the mid-range of his technical ability as the center point of his ripping style. Mm -hmm. So you'll have very simple stuff, but then occasionally you'll have pretty, honestly, challenging right-hand rhythm work, uh, like you'll hear across this song a lot. So sort of in the sense of uh, like classical music volume is used as a kind of dynamic feature. Ah, uh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Or, uh, for instance, you know, I was, I remember uh, maybe a year So back, he's using technique as a dynamic. He's using technique as a dynamic. I, I, I was talking to uh, another guitarist uh, maybe a year ago. Uh, we were both talking about, like, playing on extended range guitars, like seven or eight strings. And we were talking about um, how... You know, the problem is in metal, your tendency is your starting point is your lowest string on an open note, you know, but that only gives you one direction to go. So we were talking about the idea of, well, yeah, I'm playing on an eight string, but I'm starting most of these riffs like on the E string so I can go up, I can go down, I can play in a more three dimensional mm. space doing that. And I think he's doing that with technique. These explosive kind of flourishes are not 
happening on every track. He has room to move up and down in technicality. You know, so the sort of restraint that he's showing in exercising that is really good for the dynamics of the record. It makes it more like folk or classical music. You know, there's a, an entire range to explore. There's very simple stuff. There's very complex stuff. And you should probably be sitting somewhere around the middle. And I, I think that it makes those moments of technicality way more exciting when they're kind of rare. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, it's, uh, you know, he's not... I'll probably try to get to this in more detail at another point because I'm sure an opportunity will present itself. It's something I've been thinking about, about the sort of, say, the syndaxioi or Halyaruna or a lot of stuff we've been seeing lately, or even in a way the Serpent Dweller, is like you can tell we're getting beyond black metal because black metal is starting to not be the thing that's setting the ultimate formal parameters. It's becoming a set of techniques within a toolkit. Oh yeah, no, I, like, I agree. Yeah, like people, people are starting to figure out other ways of forming things, and then they will, just like, it's like black metal makes the move from like ultimate, from like style to technique, and it that happened when black metal sort of took over thrash and death metal technique, right? It's like you would still hear plenty of thrash and death metal in the first five years of black metal. But like it, it had it was no longer what was calling the shots in terms of how the songs were structured. No, I agree. Um, I, I was thinking about that when you were talking about the uh, the Serpent Dweller demo. Um, you know, j just in the idea that you know, I, again, this seems like a little bit reductive, but just think about age. You know, think about the Zoomers that you might know. Yeah. You know, I, I'm pretty active in my local scene, so I know a lot of Zoomers who have grown up with black metal as just, like, background radiation since mm -hmm. they started with metal. There was no progression into black metal for them. It was just always there. Mm -hmm. You know, so they've internalized certain lessons about riff craft and songwriting, that kind of thing, that are things that me... Uh, you know, a guy that's a little bit older that had to progress into black metal still kind of reaches for in a deliberate mm -hmm, way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see what you mean, yep. As a result, you know, the musical results are going to be different. And uh, it's kind of up to us to... I mean, it, it, in a certain sense, you have to accept it. The, the oh, inter yeah. The interpretation of those ideas is going to be different. It's just part of the fabric of heavy metal now. Oh, yeah. I don't mean it as a bad thing. I, I think, like, I mean, I think the question is, yeah, I mean, obviously people should always keep playing traditional black metal in a variety of styles, but, like, uh, you know, one proof of the fertility of a style is does it, you know, does it sort of go beyond itself? And this is especially once it has, especially once the term becomes so capacious, you know, it now refers to like a billion different things, some of which are mortally opposed to each other.
Yeah! 